looking forward to starting our new series on um, how to be rich, how to be rich. And um, I think this is an important topic because when I take a look at my life, there are certain things that I've struggled with and I continue to struggle with. But I think one of the big, biggest transformations in my life was in the area of money, how I view money and to become a generous person and to be able to trust God um, for, you know, my provision. Because I grew up in a family where, you know, we always had enough. You know, my parents were generous, and they used to give a lot of things away to other people to help them. But my dad always, um, you know, worried about, you know, finances. I remember telling him when we purchased our house, he goes, Dave, our mortgage payment is $300 a month. I don't know how we're going to um, pay for this. You know, $300 a month is a lot of money. And it was back then. And so... Even though on paper, you know, it always seemed like we had enough. You know, that was just something that my dad struggled with too. And, you know, he passed that on to myself and my brother. And it's something that I struggled with. God, are you able to take care of me? Are you able to provide for me? But this is an area where I've seen God uh, come through my life, you know, time and time again. And this is one of the big areas that... um, You know, he's really changed my life. And so that's what we're going to start our series on how to be rich. Not how to get rich. Not how to get rich, okay? How to be rich. How to be rich. And I can't take um, credit for this because this whole series is coming from Andy Stanley's book, How to Be Rich. But just let me uh, share with you this example. It said, money shouldn't have been a problem for this boxer. After all, according to the New York Times, he had earned more than $400 million in his boxing career. However, he spent almost all of that frittering it away on extravagances like mansions, luxury cars, exotic animals. And he also owed $9 million for his divorce settlement and $13 million to the IRS. When he finally filed for bankruptcy in 2003... He claimed debts of $27 million. Over his career, he made over $400 million. But then at the end of his career, he owed $27 million. There's another basketball player who made over $155 million in his career, and he spent it on jewelry, cars, gambling, and homes. And it was said that he blew through over $300,000 a month, $300,000 a month, and always bought new clothes. Because when he went to city to city to play, he never liked to bring a suitcase. And so he always, wherever he'd go, he always just purchased new clothes. Always purchased new clothes so he didn't have to carry a suitcase. But once again, at his divorce settlement, he couldn't even pay enough for child support. Child support, and then it was said that during one of when he was in court, he couldn't afford even a cheeseburger. Could you imagine that? Making a hundred and fifty-five million dollars in your career, and then sitting in court not being able to afford. A cheeseburger. 
You know, and we see this time and time again. There are so many stories about these athletes who make so much money, and then at the end of the career, they're bankrupt. And the problem was they were wealthy. They, they were in the elite, top, whatever, 0.0001% of wage earners in this world. But the problem was nobody taught them how to be rich. No one taught them how to be rich. So they squandered their money and they ended up with nothing. But you know, the same could be true with us. Is that we could be rich, but we don't know how to be rich. So we could be spiritually rich also. Maybe no one's taught us how to invest eternally versus investing in the temporal like these athletes did and so many others did. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today. And, oh, actually in the next uh, three weeks I'm going to be leading us through this topic. But I would gather to say that most of us here, or all of us here, were wealthy. But the problem with wealth, you know, like medication... It all has its side effects, right? Have you ever seen those um, pharmacy commercials and they tell you about this medication, then they tell you about all these side effects and go, man, the side effects is worse than the condition that I'm trying to cure with this pill. But you know, wealth also has side effects. And we're going to take a look at some of those. And the first side effect is rich people live in denial. Okay, rich people live in denial. Because basically, when I, if I ask you, are you rich? You go, no. And if I ask all of you, you'd say, no. And the, the thing is, well, I'm not rich. And then who is rich? Well, the person who's rich is a person that makes more than me. That's our definition of rich. I'm not rich, but the person who makes more than me um, is rich. And so we all live in denial. And I remember um, when Marco said this when he preached. He said, if you make minimum wage, which is twelve fifty an hour, you're in the top 3% of the wage earners in this world. If you make minimum wage, $10.50 an hour, you are in the top 3% of the wage earners in this world. Let me bring that out a little bit more. If you make uh, $48,000, or if you earn a combined income of $48,000, you are in the top 1% of the wage earners in this world. Did you not? So you all are wealthy. You know, but you guys are just looking at me like, well, okay. None of you just stood up and said, well, praise God. I didn't know I was so wealthy. Oh, I'm wealthy. God, thank you so much. I can't believe how lucky I am. Why? You know, we're in the top 3%. Why don't we um, believe? Why aren't we excited about that? Well, it's because we don't feel rich. <laughs> There's a difference between being rich and feeling rich. And statistics show that we're wealthy, that we're rich. The problem is we don't feel rich. We don't realize that we live in a wealthy nation. Well, I know Pastor Mako was, uh, and his life group were serving in Skid Row. And he was telling us that even the homeless people in Skid Row, they pick and choose where they want to go eat. So if they know that, okay, tonight 
such and such places having clam chowder and bread and salad, and another place is having chicken and rice and salad, guess where they're going? They're going to the place where they can have chicken, rice, and salad. Even our homeless people in Skid Row know what these different organizations are serving, and they pick and choose where they want to go. Mother Teresa once said of the United States, she goes, in, in America, your pets eat better than the poorest of the poor in India. We don't realize how wealthy we are. Why? Because we don't feel rich. We don't feel rich. And that's because there's a thing called margin. Basically, margin is our disposable income. It's the difference between what we have and our expenses, right? And a lot of us said, well, you know what? I don't have that much margin. Yeah, I make a lot, but I don't have a lot of disposable income. And this is why we don't feel rich. You know, I shared with you that my first paycheck was $80. And that was after two weeks of work. I worked $80. And I felt like Bill Gates. That I was the richest man in the world. $80! You know, I'm rich. I'm wealthy. Right? Why? Because I had a lot of margin. I didn't have any bills to pay. So all that $80, that just went to my savings account and went to me. The only thing my father asked that I would pay for gas, which was approximately 60 cents a gallon, you know, at that time, you know. But anyway, I've never made less, but I've never felt more rich than I did when I was making $80 after working for two weeks. Why? Because I had margin. And that's the difference. And I would gather to say, this is why even though I could throw out all of these statistics at you guys to prove that we are the wealthiest people in this world, that that's not going to move you. Because you do not feel rich. We live in denial. I am not wealthy. So all of the, you know, the verses in the Bible, all of the teachings in the Bible that talk about wealthy people, you know, actually, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to everyone else who's wealthier than me. So once again, one of the side effects of being rich is that we live in denial. Okay, the second side effect is that rich people are plagued with discontentment. Rich people are plagued with discontentment. That means the more you have, the more you want. I mean, wealth is like an appetite. Um, the more you feed it, the more it grows. And we all been there before, right? Just this past week, I was really hungry. And I went to this place, and I got this burrito. And so for the past maybe six months, I've just been eating half. But you know what? I said, you know, I'm hungry. And it was about this big, right? And so guess what? I ate the whole thing. 
You know, you know, my stomach hurt, and I was going, oh, this isn't good. And then next time, that night, my wife and I went out and celebrated our 20th anniversary, right? We went to this dinner and this um, Chinese restaurant, and we ordered like, I don't know, four or five dishes, and each dish was like this big. And even though I was full from lunch, I said, man, I got to eat this stuff, because this is like Paul's, old Paul's Kitchen kind of Chinese food. It's not real Chinese food, but it's kind of like more Americanized, you know, Chinese food. Um, but once again, I knew I shouldn't be eating that much. But what? I had that burrito. I said, man, if I could polish that off, hey, this is nothing. What? Your app, the more you feed your appetite, the more it grows. But that's same with the things we have. And it's called upgrades. Upgrades. Which we, upgrade is really a basic term when we take something that's perfectly good, that works perfectly well, and we trade it in for something better. Right. How many of you are waiting for the iPhone 10 to come out? Yeah, okay, yeah, I know you guys are going, no, no, not me. But inside you're saying, yeah, 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 I can't wait till that comes out. $1,000 for that phone, right? But isn't that, don't Apple, you know, they've been upgrading the iPhone Every single year, you know, you get the iPhone 4, then the 4S, the 5, 5S, and so forth. And what do we do? We take our phones that work perfectly well and say, oh, upgrade, upgrade. I need a new phone. And so what do we do? We want that new phone. Or whatever's new that's coming out, we want that, Right? We want to upgrade. We want to take the things that work perfectly well and trade them in for something that is new. So once again, the second side effect is that wealthy people are plagued with discontentment. And think about that. You know, what areas in your life right now, as you think about what you have, is there anything that you're discontent right now with what you have? Even though it works perfectly well, You just can't wait till the newest and latest and the greatest thing comes out. Well, the thing is that Paul addresses the wealthy, you know, and he gives us guidelines on how to be rich. And so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, 17, or your iPhones? You could turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17. And this is Paul's or God's plan for how each of us who are wealthy to be rich. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Command those who are rich. Now, who are the rich? Us. Me. You. Paul is writing this to all of us. And so he's telling Timothy, command. What do you think he's going to tell them? Command those who are wealthy. What? To enjoy it and acquire more stuff. You know, to live off the blessings that God has given you so you could be happy and then have that appetite grow. But he's saying those, this is command. This is not a suggestion, right? So when we take a look at scripture and we see this word, it's like this light bulb should go up and okay, this is something that God wants me to do. This is not something that God's saying I should do. Or that it'd be nice if I made an attempt to do this. This is whatever is coming next. 
This is what God wants us to do. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their wealth, put hope in the wealth which is so uncertain. I'm sorry, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. So the first thing he says is there's a tendency for wealthy people to become arrogant. To have this idea that I am better than you because I have this and you don't have this. I know for those of you like myself, I'm a collector. You know, I collect a lot of things. Well, mainly I'm a collector of toy robots. You know, these things called transformers, right? And I spend a lot of money on collecting transformers. I've been all over the world. My collection spans from Germany, Hong Kong, Australia, and locally, and even like New York. You know, that's where I get them from. And, and, okay, I didn't have the money to go to all those places. I used to work for Continental Airlines, just to let you know. So I flew free, right? But I would collect those things. But why would I collect them? Because it's like, ooh, I have something that somebody else doesn't have. I mean, really, when you think of it, they're just a piece of plastic, right? You know, when people collect things and they spend a lot of money for us, let's say sports paraphernalia, Why? Because you have something that other people don't have. But isn't this the way we view our purchases? Whether it's clothing, automobiles, or what, whatever. Part of what drives us is to have something that other people um, don't have. Right? So there's an arrogance in that. And so what Paul is saying here, command those in the present world not to be arrogant. Because wealth has a tendency to make people arrogant. And he also says, um, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Once again, these athletes made so much money. I mean, even when you take a look at guys like Kobe Bryant, when he was with the Lakers, making $30 million a year, Right? And that was just his salary. That's not his endorsements, right? And you think, wow, he's wealthy. And all these athletes make so much money. But a lot of them found out that their wealth was uncertain. Because they lived the good life. They lived the high life for a little bit. But then after that, you know, they went bankrupt. So wealth is uncertain. Everything that you have when it comes to your assets, it's uncertain. It could be here today and gone tomorrow. But what does he say? He says, he commands them not to be arrogant nor put hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And see, this is the struggle that I had growing up as a believer, is placing my hope and trust in God that he would care for me and my um, and provide for my needs. But the problem that I had, and a lot of us have, is we ask this question: Can God, or this? The fear is: Can He provide for me in the way that I want it be provided for? Okay, God promises to provide for us, but we tend to take it a next step to say, God, can you provide for me 
the way I want to be provided for. And so he says, put your hope in God. Which leads us to the third side effect. Where it says, wealth has side effects. It says, rich people suffer from the migration of hope. Where wealth becomes a substitute for God. And this happens slowly over time. Where, you know, when we come to Christ, we put our faith and trust in Him. But unknowingly, what happens for wealthy people, for rich people, for rich believers, is that over time, that hope migrates from God and it starts shifting over to the things that we have. Did you know if you read the Gospels, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell? And you think, heaven or hell? You know, those are pretty important topics. These are people's, you know, eternities. This is where they're going to spend eternity. But Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. Why? Because he knew the number one threat to us being connected with God, to us growing in our relationship with God, to us growing in our faith, is money. Because he says, where our treasure is, so what? What's there? So is our heart. Jesus knows that the main competitor for our heart is our wealth. The main competitor for our heart is our wealth. This is why Jesus talked so much about money. Because he knows that over time, for wealthy people, there's a tendency to shift our hope from God to our wealth. And you say, well, how do you know if it's, how do you know if my hope has shifted or it's starting to shift. I'm going to say two statements. I'm going I'm to just read two statements. And what I'd like you to do as you listen to these two statements, which of these two statements causes you more anxiety or causes you more fear? And I want you, this only will work if you're honest with yourself. So once again, I'm going to read two statements. And when I read those two statements, I want each one of you to honestly think which one of these statements, if true, would cause you more fear and anxiety. Okay, the first statement. Has that been up there the whole time? Oh. Okay, it's not up there. Okay, good. The first statement is, there is no God. Okay, let's say if that was true and you heard that, there was no God. Would that cause you fear or an anxiety? Basically, once your life is over, it's gone. Everything happens by chance, right? There is no God. Okay, got that? Next statement. You have no money or assets. All of your money is gone. All of your assets have been taken away. You have nothing except the clothes you came to church in this morning, and that's it. Once again, which one of those two statements would cause you more anxiety right now? That there is no God, or that you have no money, 
or no assets. And if we were honest with ourselves, it would probably be the latter, right? That would cause us more fear or more anxiety. Once again, let me uh, read that one again. There is no God and you have no money or assets. Now let's fast forward a bit. Let's say I want you to fast forward to the time when you're preparing for your death. Maybe you're in a hospital bed right now. You've got tubes sticking all over you. And you know that your time is short here on earth. And if I was to ask you this question again, which one of these statements caused you more anxiety? There is no God or you have no money or assets. My guess would be that there is no God. Right? If you're in the hospital, ready to pass from this earth to the next, you wouldn't care about, I have no money or no assets. And it's just amazing where I've been on um, a lot of deathbed visitations, right? And never once did anyone ever say that I've lived a good life because I had nice things. I had a good career. I had a nice house. I was able to drive all of these luxury cars. I acquired, you know, I was this, in position-wise, I was to rise up and be like this leader in this in my company. No one ever said that. You know what they say? They feel blessed. I feel blessed because of family. I feel blessed because of friends. I feel blessed because of relationships. Every single one of them. It was all about relationships and not about money or things. But also, you know what the biggest regret was? The biggest regret wasn't, oh yeah, I really didn't make a lot of money. Or I didn't live in a nice neighborhood. Or I wasn't able to achieve my goals. Their biggest regret was relationships. I wish I could have spent more time with my children. I wish there were certain things I would have said to my spouse. I wish I could have spent more time with, invested more in my friends. That was the biggest regret. So if you ask that question at the end of your life, my guess is that you, if you are facing the unknown, where you have very little control, you're going to say, What's scarier is if there is no God. So the the question is, if you can trust God, if you would place all of your hope and trust in God at the end of your life, when the stakes are really, really high, why not place your trust in the middle part of your life where there's equally no control? Over your future. And that's something I'd like to all of us to ask ourselves this week. And if we would put all of our hope in God at the end of our lives, why don't we put our hope in God in the middle of our lives? In Proverbs 37, the author says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. 
Once again, this is something that the author is requesting from God and he's pleading with God, do not refuse me this before I die. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. It says, keep falsehood and lies away from me. All of these false ideas that are being planted in my brain, all of these lies that I've been told, keep those far from me. And one of those things is how we deal with wealth. And what does he say? But give me only my daily bread. Why? And he goes on to say, Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Basically what he said, Lord, just give me what I need. Because if you give me too much, if you bless me with too many things, I might come to the point where I say, who is God? He's, he understands wealth. And he's saying, God, if you give me too much, you know, if you bless me with too much, my hope might migrate from you to my wealth to the point where I said, who is God? I don't need God. Look what I've done with the creation of my hands. And not realize that it was God all the time who blessed us. But once again, he said that he doesn't become too poor that he'd have to steal and commit crimes, thus dishonoring the Lord's name. And finally, um, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, But put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay? He says, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. See, I don't want you to leave here too guilty today afterwards. You know, this is church and we don't want you to feel guilty. You know? But what what he's saying right there is God richly provides for us with everything for what? Just so we could eke out a living? For our enjoyment. So there is nothing wrong with having your iPhones. (laughs) There's nothing, and you're waving that, you know, or if you're whatever other, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house, nice clothing, or whatever. He said, there's nothing wrong with that. But he said, don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake of shifting your hope from God to your things. Right? A lot of people say, well, money is the root of all evil. Right? How many of you heard that money is the root of all evil? Yeah. The Bible never says that. What does the Bible say? The love of money is the root of all evil. You know, there are plenty of wealthy people in the Bible. But God gives us everything for an enjoyment. Enjoy what he's given you. But don't make the mistake of... My, your, don't make the mistake 
of shifting your hope from God to things. Put your hope in the one who provides, not in the provisions he provides. And that's key. And this is just the first verse. In subsequent sermons, we're going to talk about, okay, God has given us, made us all wealthy, whether you think you're wealthy or not. And God wants to say, okay, I made you wealthy, and this is how I want you to use your wealth so that you could be a blessing to others and so that you could start investing in eternal things. So I'm going to ask you this last question. is why put hope in riches when you could hope in the one who richly provides. There's a big difference. And this is our weekly challenge this week. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's an honestly think about where you are where you currently place your hope. Once again those two questions. What caused you more fear or an anxiety is if you found out there was no God? Or you found out that all your money and your assets were gone. You know, think about, think honestly about where you're placing your hope. It says, if you are placing more hope in your wealth in God, what is one action step you can do this week to start shifting your hope to God? Now, we've all been there. You know, I've been there where I've placed my hope in you know, my, the insurance, you know, your paycheck, your assets. And then finally pray that God will give you enough to live on, but not too much so that you forget about him. Because once again, what's the first um, side effect of being rich? Is that we live in denial. We really don't feel rich even though we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. And, then our, and that our pets, our pets eat better than a lot of people around this world who are starving, who don't have food. And yet, one of your biggest problems in the next 30 minutes is going to decide where you want to go eat. Right? Oh, I had that last night. Oh, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that, right? Isn't that crazy? When you think about it, when Mother Teresa said, our pets eat better and are cared for much better than the poor poor in India, right? And we don't think we're wealthy, but when it comes 30 minutes from now, we're going to think, oh, where do we go to lunch? And we can't figure out where we want to go because we have so many choices. But the good thing is God is a God who loves us and a God who provides for us. He wants us to enjoy those things, but not to place our hope in those things, but to place our hope in the God who provides.